PM board bombs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast where board studying continues to be enjoyable, fun, exciting, just a stress reliever, something we need in 2020. My name is Blake Briggs. I'm joined by the one and only Travis Smith again. It's a pleasure to have you again, Travis. Thanks for being on the team as usual. Oh, well, uh, thank you for having me back, uh, Dr. Briggs. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Today, we're covering a really special topic that Dr. Smith has been working on. Um, As you all know, Dr. Smith. Uh, has an illustrious career with uh, LeeCom, and he is a mentor to many medical students and the dean of the regional campus in Jacksonville. And he also works as an emergency physician uh, with plenty of years of community experience. And part of his lessons he does is a lot of workups with general, you know, big chief complaints. And so one of the big chief complaints we're going to talk about today that is really just a monster uh, is really going to be acute low back pain. Everyone's favorite ED complaint at 3 a.m. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> it is so common, uh, so common. So it is just super important. Follow along with us and, and uh, you know, make sure that you're able to get this complaint and an image when needed. So follow along, guys. Sure. And we're going to have a handout, by the way, that we'll cite a couple of times that Dr. Smith is a primary author on, and I'm uh, working on it with him. And we're going to be producing that on the website uh, as well, releasing with the podcast. So we'll cite that a couple of times for things that we just don't want to list off because it's a waste of everyone's time. And we'll try to focus on the big pearls here of acute low back pain. Let's, are you ready for the question? I'm ready for the question, but I will first make sure I want to give a shout out to Caitlin Wilk, who who helped author this, and she did a great job. She's one of my fourth-year students who is going into emergency medicine. So thank you, Caitlin. I appreciate it. Awesome. We at Ian Board Bombs are always very good at summarizing things in two pages, something I'm really proud of. Hey, for each 15-minute episode, you gain high-yield board knowledge. As we like to say, you can come for the stems, stay for the content. You can sign up on our website for free updates and episodes, printed handouts, free review quizzes, and free modules as well, like that awesome airway module. You can test your knowledge in everything that we just talked about by going to our website at emboardbombs.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at emboardbombs. Dr. Smith, you have your own Twitter handle as well? I do. Yeah, so you can follow me at Rosanelli E-M. That's at R-O-S-E-N-E-L-L-I-E-M. Sweet. And of course, I'm on there as well as at Blake Briggs MD. Great. That's enough Twitters you can follow for a day. It's like three or four Twitters. Okay, so here's a question. We got a 37-year-old male who presents to the ED with complaints of low back pain. He states he was on a ladder for several hours attempting to put up holiday string lights for the upcoming holidays. And he was doing this on the outdoors of his house since his wife was berating him for nearly 12 hours yesterday, saying how Karen next door already had their lights up before Thanksgiving. So (laughs) because of all that, he had to get an early start uh, at 6 a.m. and was on the ladder pretty much all day. However, upon further questioning by your medical student, when she goes back in the room to check on him, two days ago, he attempted to perform a holiday TikTok dance-off. Oh. (laughs) Normal vitals and low back pain near the overlying L4, L5 region. So which of the following is true? Choice A, early directed physical therapy reduces rates of disability. Choice B, lumbar spinal x-ray imaging should be performed on this patient. Choice C, there is no benefit of combination pharmacotherapy in these patients. And choice D, lidocaine patches have no role in management. Mm. Dr. Smith, what is the correct answer?
This is a tough one, I, and I kind of want to ask you whether or not he took the ambulance in, or whether his uh, whether Karen <laughs> drove him. Um, but I, but I think either way, I'm going to go with answer C. There is no benefit of combination pharmacotherapy. Perfect. Perfect. Let's dive into back pain. What you got for me? And well, as, as we mentioned before, acute low back pain um, is defined as pain lasting less than six weeks, while chronic back pain lasts more than 12 weeks. Uh, for the sake of time, we're going to stick with the acute and not the chronic. We have places to be. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, I, I actually thought low back pain accounted for more, but it actually accounts for about 3% of all ED visits. I figured it was like 98%. I'm just joking. Uh, in the U.S., and is the most common musculoskeletal um, complaint presenting to the ED. Uh, in addition, about 26% of the population reports low back pain in the last three months, and is the most common cause of disability in the U.S. Uh, one U.S. study found that 81% of episodes of low back pain began at home with lifting, representing the most common precipitating event. Uh, that's why I prefer to outsource a lot of these uh, home projects. You know, after <laughs> after injuries and 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 you know, seeing people taking uh, yeah. on uh, their own uh, activities. But of the patients that we see in the ED, 85% of uh, percent of them will have pain in their back that is non-specific and not clearly related to any other medical condition uh, or nerve root impingement syndrome, which is good. I mean, we you know we don't like yeah. doing all these big workups. No, absolutely not. Hey, you want to hear some uh, useless trivia? Yeah, of course. So back pain, it's probably one of the most expensive medical problems to hit the door in the ED uh, among fellow uh, bipedals such as ourselves. Yep. <laughs> so guess how much money it is? Hmm. Hundred, hundred billion, hundred billion dollars a year. The majority of which is associated with lost wages and work productivity. So one of the biggest issues with back pain is that it's common, it's nebulous, and there are a lot of psychosocial factors that may be at play, which also increase the risk of really perpetuating chronic pain, unfortunately, in long-term disability. And we see it every day in the emergency department. And Dr. Smith is shaking his head right now in agreement with some of these things. And so we, really, for example, there's a lot of poorly taught attitudes, um, either from primary care, unfortunately, or from physical therapy, or just the general public, or Google, Dr. Google. And there's these poorly taught attitudes and beliefs about back pain. So the patient education is poor. The patients may be told unrealistic expectations, which is a big thing I see commonly in the emergency department. And there also, unfortunately, might be some, you know, concomitant psychiatric illnesses, you know, dissatisfaction with their line of work, unhappy with compensation, issues at their job. And perhaps most unfortunate, this can potentially uh, perpetuate maladaptive pain behaviors uh, and uh, increase ED utilization um, and dissatisfaction with care due to unmet pain expectations. In general, I don't know Dr. Smith, I know he told me before the podcast how excited he is to take care of low back pain at 3 a.m., but after working a night shift last night, I can tell you right now, after seeing three back pains in a row, it, it's draining. Oh, man. <laughs> well, listen, I, I hope you have a good script. You know, I just stick to it, and, um, you know, yes. it becomes, yes. becomes, uh, becomes repetitive. Absolutely. Here's one thing. You need to know the anatomy of the lower dermatones and reflexes of the of the low back and lower extremities. You absolutely need to know the corresponding spinal nerves. We're not kidding around. This will absolutely be on your boards. It was on my boards, I recall. Uh, and it definitely is tested by Pier 9 and Roche Review. We're not kidding. You absolutely have to know this. It is in the low back pain handout that will be released with this podcast. We're not going to read them off. It's a waste of time. But So check out that handout. Make sure you familiarize yourself the night before the test. That's not something you learn like a year before your test because you'll forget it. <laughs> hey, history and physical. You know, I think here history is queen. The, the presence of trauma, other signs of like tachycardia, hypotension, fever should all raise your suspicion for some 
etiology unrelated to the common, you know, nonspecific musculoskeletal causes. So let's quickly read off the commonly listed quote unquote red flag symptoms and emphasize the important ones. The -hmm. presence of one or more of these should lead you to think, think, think hard, put on your thinking caps about pursuing uh, further workup. Uh, Mm -hmm. Listen for heart murmurs, palpate the abdomen for a distended bladder or an enlarged aorta. If you have your trusty bedside uh, POCUS butterfly ultrasound, you know, you know, shout out, shout out, you know, to the recent uh, AAA handout. But some other things that, that should raise your red flags. I mean, I think if, if you if you want to memorize some things, I mean, these are the things to memorize and to know, mm-hmm. um, you know, always have in the back of your head, um, age less than 18, age greater than 50, you know, new onset back pain. I'm not talking about, you know, the 52-year-old who comes in with, he's had back pain for 20 years, you know, new mm-hmm. onset back pain, major trauma or minor trauma in the elderly, those with rheumatological diseases, any history of cancer, someone's on anticoagulant or who has a coagulopathy, uh, like I mentioned before, fever, tachycardia, weight loss, hypotension, uh, IV drug use, uh, new heart murmurs, someone who's immunocompromised, pain that is greatest at night and that's unrelenting. Yeah, it's con- any concerning pain that wakes you up at sleep deserves some attention. Mm-hmm. Yep, and uh, incontinence, uh, urinary incontinence, fecal incontinence, anyone who has saddle anesthesia, uh, any severe progressing neurological deficit, meaning hey, I used to have numbness and tingling, but now my leg is weak. And mm-hmm. in any perineal or perianal sensory loss or, you know, on rectal exam, any uh, anal sphincter laxity. And and I say that laughingly because um, that was one of the big uh, sticks at um, where I trained at UF. Everyone got a um, rectal exam with back pain. Off topic, there was a history and physical exam <laughs> that was posted in our resident lounge. One of the internal medicine residents had... Uh, um, you know, done a HMP on a patient that we admitted, and it said on the uh, rectal exam, patient defers, stating he had way too many rectal exams in the emergency department. And so we had that posted on there. So um, <laughs> I bet his press scanning scores were. Oh, oh yeah. Listen, uh, some other things. Um, you know, to know on the history, uh, just patients uh, describing ridiculous pain should be asked and examined for any neurological deficits such as weakness. Mm-hmm. I know sometimes it's hard for patients to uh, describe you know, what they're feeling. They might say weak, but, you know, really, are they really weak or are they just weak because they're in a lot of pain? So it's, you know, I think it's important for you to be able to differentiate the two. Right. You know, patients that have a neurological deficit require a more in-depth examination, which may or may not include a rectal exam. So just make sure mm-hmm. you think about it. And if you don't do it, you know, make sure you document why. You know, yeah. documentation is, is huge in these. Remember that greater than 90% of disc herniations occur at L4, L5, L5-S1 levels. So do a focus exam on the foot and ankle. If no significant deficits are present, they can be referred for outpatient follow-up without emergent imaging. And I think, you know, if I could highlight that is without imaging in the emergency department. Yes. Sounds like you're foreshadowing or um, helping me lead into a new section of the topic. Mm, Possibly. Possibly. Yes. Hey, we got a special holiday feature and it's called things that are a waste of time in medicine and we shouldn't do them. I'm as bad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Oh, I, I love it. And it's a long list, but today we're going to start with a classic, imaging and tests for acute low back pain. So in most patients with back pain, no testing will be necessary. You shouldn't waste your time imaging patients that are low risk without red flag symptoms and non-focal symptoms. And the big thing is here that you also shouldn't be getting, quote, routine labs, as everyone says, you know, in triage or... <laughs> yeah, what is, what, is, what does you know, your routine include? <laughs> routine labs implies, for the most part, CBC, BMP, or CMP 
And then for back pain patients, they almost always tack on, you know, a UA, ESR, and CRP. So unless there's a concern for something related to that, like, okay, I'm concerned about pilo, I'm concerned about a stone, I'm concerned about some sort of infection or tumor or hypercalcemia, you know, unless you're concerned about something specific, which the history and physical should help you with, yes, get those labs, get that workup. You're doing something specific. But if you have a low back pain patient that Dr. Smith just talked about with no red flags, normal neurological exam, normal ambulation, and a clear history that, hey, move my back the wrong way or, you know, minor trauma in an otherwise okay patient, we don't need that kind of stuff. Uh, and it's, it doesn't help anything. It adds to the complexity. It adds to ED wait times and disposition issues. It's just not helpful. Wait times wait times are the big thing. And, um, you know, yes. if you're looking for patient satisfaction as well, um, you know, you could, you, get, you could save the one hour it takes to get an x-ray and some labs, or you could take an extra, you know, three minutes or four minutes mm -hmm. and just explain mm -hmm. to the patient why they don't need an x-ray and make them feel good yes. about, hey, you don't need an x-ray. And, and, and I think if you take the time, it'll pay dividends because that visit will now become 15 minutes because uh, 14 of it um, was due to you having to um, write up the EMR chart. Uh, and speaking of unclear imaging, the lumbar x-ray, oh. the lowliest of routine films. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, on the, it, 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 it's up there with the abdominal ra radio. Yeah, the KUB and the lumbar x-ray, the two humblest misunderstood x-rays which don't have a place in modern medicine, really. Well, yeah, yeah. Maybe if you're in uh, circa 1971. <laughs> yeah, Rowan yep. <laughs> so uh, routine films are not indicated. Again, let's emphasize that. Routine lumbar x-rays are not indicated in the majority of your acute low back pain patients. AKA, if you're going to discharge your patient when you walk out of that room, don't get a lumbar x-ray. You may consider, you may consider, if you're about a fracture or METS. But here's the thing with that. And we're going to talk about it in a second. Get a CT if you're really. If you're concerned, don't even waste your time with the extra radiation of a lumbar x-ray. Get a CT. I was going to say, I can just see my uh, uh, x-ray and CT techs like staring at me right now. I can see one of them on my shoulder. When I order a, mm -hmm. an x-ray, a lumbar x-ray, they're like, why mm -hmm. can't you just order a CT scan? You know, and, and it's yeah. like, hey, if you're going to order an x-ray, um, you know, there are times where you should just jump right to CT. Absolutely right. Saves time and there's just really no increased information at all. You may make yourself feel better, but we all know you're fooling yourself. So a cool study that looked at about 68,000 lumbar radiographs, and they found that clinically unsuspected lesions occurred in one for every 2,500 patient <laughs> age 20 to 50 years. So basically, AK, this is a complete waste of money and radiation. It's not indicated. Just take the time, as we said earlier, to explain to the patient why an x-ray doesn't help why there's a, you know, the radiation risk, we agree, is super small. It's an x-ray, but it's still a radiation risk, and it's completely unnecessary to the patient. And if they were your family member, you would agree that it's unnecessary. So they appreciate you even more. And there's studies showing this. Patients really appreciate when providers sit down and talk to them. Um, and I've incorporated this in my practice saying, you know what, instead of the x-ray and go, and you get a one sentence, x-ray is negative by if you take 10 minutes to explain why we're not doing the x-ray and what kind of the underlying issue is and what you're thinking going on, guarantee you patients will appreciate that more. Mm -hmm. 100%. So let's talk about more about the uh, quote-unquote real tests, tests that are actually helpful in cases you're concerned about more sinister underlying causes. So we got CT and MRI. Well, Go ahead, Dr. Smith. You know, um, you know, CT, it provides a more detailed view of the vertebral bodies. You can see mm -hmm. nerve roots and large spinal masses. You know, you can pick up some large things. Uh, it's good mm -hmm. to use if MRI isn't immediately uh, available and can rule out a lot of uh, pathologies. You know, at my shop, I have to call in MRI at night, and um, you know if I'm really worried. Same here. If I'm really worried about something, you know, I, I think 
when I call the radiologist, say, hey, can you call the MRI tech in? I think this guy's, you know, might have something. They'll, they'll ask, hey, just get a quick CT scan. Let's see if we can make any, you know, clinical decisions right now. And, and so that's wonderful option to use. CT should be the first line test for patients with significant trauma and, and, and back pain. And, yes, absolutely. You know, and, and also, too, you know, uh, we'll talk about, you know, elderly patients and compression fractures where maybe you can make a case for uh, an x-ray to look for those. But remember, elderly patients, they are very osteopenic. You know, sometimes subtle little fractures might not show up. And two, it is very hard to tell on x-rays whether or not it is an acute or a chronic compression fracture. And, and, yeah. and CT scans can do that. MRIs are better, but CT scans, I think, are the you know test. If you're really wanting to image someone, you should think about doing it first. MRI, uh, we talked about, There's a you get a good view of the spinal uh, canal and cord. It's best used for infection, neoplasm, epidural compression. Uh, the addition of contrast is indicated when you're looking for an infection or cancer. Uh, please note that obtaining thoracic spine imaging in addition to lumbar spine is needed in many cases, especially if cancer is a possibility, as the thoracic spine is the most common site involved. I have seen this. I have seen lumbar MRIs miss thoracic lesions. Happens all the time. Um, and, and so, you know, if you're worried about something, make sure you add on the, the T-spine as well. And if you're unsure, just talk to the neurosurgeon or the radiologist about when you should and should not. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's going to take some time, I think, younger uh, clinicians to kind of learn this and, and um, you know, just make sure you, that you use your consultants. You know, one of the cool things, there was a study of MRI imaging in asymptomatic patients uh, greater than 60, and 36% of them had a herniated disc. 21% mm -hmm. had spinal stenosis and 90% had a degenerative disc or a bulging disc. And that is a crazy statistic. Sounds about right. You know, it's, it, it is, but you know, it, it just knowing the fact that, Hey, you can have imaging finding, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be causing a symptom. So absolutely um, right. Um, you know, it's important. You can discuss that with patients as well. And again, patients with no red flag symptoms and a story and a physical exam that suggests a benign etiology, imaging is not indicated. And regarding imaging in general, there was another meta-analysis of six randomized trials. 1,800 patients found no outcome differences between routine care and no imaging and patients who underwent imaging with plain x-ray, CT, or MRI. So that's another... Ouch. Yes. Ooh, ooh. That's a pretty damning it, it is, it is. <laughs> Here, let's take this meta-analysis. Oh, by the way, it's six randomized trials. Yeah, yeah I mean... Pretty <laughs> not two, not four. <laughs> six. Six. Hey, uh, shout out, by the way, to a previous podcast released in September, episode 90, Raiders of the Lost Burst Fractures. Who doesn't love Indiana Jones? Um, on that episode, we talk about one of the ASAP peer questions, talking about what pretty much you just said, actually, but in more detail regarding CT versus X-ray versus MRI for compression fractures versus burst fractures versus chance fractures. Uh, so really good episode. Take a listen to that uh, sometime to get a chance. That was a little nostalgic. I, uh, I grew up watching that movie in the 80s. Oh, yeah fantastic movie management prognosis here we go so non-specific back pain which is 85 percent of your back pain visits the ed the big thing here is that you're going to be thinking about sprains mechanical strain and lumbago or lumbago if you're in canada so most <laughs> cases resolve on their own and uh i don't know how they say it in florida i'm sure there's another way they say it too but I, well, it's lumbago from now on for me i can tell you that yeah <laughs> so here's the management analgesia and monitoring symptoms for four to six weeks. You're gonna try to get the patient, this is a big point here, no bed rest. This is taught so incorrectly by the public perception, Dr. Google, providers that are not up to date. 
no bed rest. Resume normal activity to the furthest extent tolerable. Yeah, lay, lay in bed and get deconditioned for three days. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Laying in bed is such an 18th century kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> bed rest, not a thing anymore. Shout, shout so, out to the 1800s. Yeah, yeah shout out to <laughs> They at least didn't have COVID. Sorry. I had to. <laughs> yeah, they at least didn't have COVID. Ibuprofen is a magical drug. So this is ranging from 400 to 600 milligrams TID versus naproxen, 250 to 500 milligrams BID. The emphasis here is use the lowest effective dose possible, especially in patients that are at risk of GI bleed or patients with uh, at risk of renal disease. Got to be careful. You can also add a PPI to these patients. Big thing here, and you've seen some of these studies, uh, ProMove, uh, you should probably stop doing 800 milligram ibuprofen. There's no benefit of it, and it just causes worsening harm. And so 400 to 600 is your proper dose range for these patients. Yeah, that's that that's hard. That's hard. I mean, you know, it's tough to reverse that teaching too, but I did recently yes. learn that uh, 800 milligrams of Motrin, it might help a little bit more, you know, anti-inflammatory, but for pain, you know, the pain dose yes. is, you know, you get the same relief from a four or 600 dose. Absolutely. There's also low quality evidence, but it showed that there's no difference in adverse effects of the COX-2 inhibitors uh, versus standard NSAIDs. Uh, you know, in the ED, we all kind of, I would, you know, I've never personally prescribed uh, specific COX-2 inhibitors and, you know, they're more expensive and there's really no difference. So I'd, I'd recommend sticking with tried and true ibuprofen or naproxen. There's also no difference in pain reduction between selective and non-selective NSAIDs or difference in reduction between like, you know, IM Toradol versus PO naproxen or PO Motrin. It's a commonly misheld belief that, oh, I'm getting Toradol. It's really special. It's IM IV. It is a hundred percent what we call window dressing. It's all just for the effect. Uh, so stick with Motrin, keep it simple. Lidocaine patches. They have moderate evidence for usage. Uh, the question was wrong about that. The answer choice said that they have no role in back pain. That's not true. They might have some moderate evidence for help. Tylenol was previously recommended, and we all used to love Tylenol, and we still do for muscle pain for other reasons. But unfortunately, for acute low back pain, evidence shows it's no benefit. Here's the big elephant in the room today, muscle relaxants. So methocarbamol, uh, which is verbaxin, or cyclobenzaprine, which is flexoril, those are have not been found to be effective at all. And this is where it gets into practice preference. And I only want to really get one sentence on this, what I do, and then Dr. Smith, and then, you know, please don't take our word for, for any evidence at all. Patients may in fact have more adverse outcomes and from adding these medications to the mix. And we, we really caution against giving high doses of these or giving these outright every time. Um, I personally really don't like muscle relaxers. I think benzos even work better than muscle relaxants for actually relaxing muscles, but we all know benzos are not recommended routinely due to addiction potential, and there's no synergistic benefit when combining NSAIDs and muscle relaxants. So we don't recommend prescribing benzos, but I also don't really like muscle relaxants, and I don't typically prescribe them unless the patient is just singing their praises and thinking that's the only thing that helps them, that I'm reasonable with prescribing them. I'm especially, especially concerned about not giving these when they're an elderly patient and or on other psychotropic medications are heavy, you know, sedative producing pain medications. Dr. Smith, what's your take on yeah, that? Yeah, I think, you know, that that is the elephant in the room. And, and there's tons of, you know, different muscle relaxers, like you mentioned, Flexeril, Robaxin, Tizanidine, and then the all so famous Soma, which I call 
Um, <laughs> yeah. Soma, slow coma. I was told to never give that. I think if I give one, just like you said, it's one they've exhausted other options, you know, and it's a medication that you know the patient can tolerate. I mean, I'm not giving the 85 year old, you know, 90 pound grandmother high dose Flexeril because it's gonna, <laughs> you know, it's gonna make her syncopize on the way out. But if yep. you know, like you said, if I am going to use something for you know a day or so and nothing else working, Valium works well. It's definitely something I'm not sending anyone home with, you know, more than a, a handful. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that limiting their use is, is, I think, only helpful for the patient. Absolutely. Results also demonstrated there was really no significant benefit for addition of either any opioids like, you know, oxycodone and acetaminophen or hydrocodone acetaminophen, uh, otherwise known as Percocet or Norco in the United States, with muscle relaxers, with naproxen. So really this combo therapy, which is why the the answer uh, said in the question, there's no benefit from combo therapy. This is coming from this study that you shouldn't be just giving them cocktails, and I hate that word, I'm using it anyway, (laughs) of different pain medications and muscle relaxers. You're just asking for polypharmacy um, and patient harm, and it's also just not helpful for the patient. Spinal manipulation and heat therapy might be beneficial in some patients. Ice, not helpful. And then let's talk about things that don't help. And these are always, always, always going to be the wrong answer in real life and the wrong answer on test questions. And test questions are up to date. They do not want you doing aggressive things with low back pain. And so they do not want you getting imaging in acute low back pain patients uh, with no red flags. They do not want you prescribing opioids. They do not want you to regularly give muscle relaxers or benzos. There's also no role for corticosteroids. There's no proven efficacy for any type of traction or lasers or electrical nerve stimulation. It's all hogwash. And then really the bad and the ugly, aggressive aerobic exercise has no benefit. Not that our patients are really good on average to do that anyway. <laughs> Early physical therapy is always a wrong answer. That was a wrong choice today is in the question. Any massage therapy, antidepressants, even anti-epileptics have been studied. You can tell this is a big issue in healthcare that they're constantly trying to nail down some type of magical therapy. Nothing of what I just mentioned works. What shows promise in the future? Well, acupuncture might be a little bit helpful as we talked about earlier with spinal manipulation, heat therapy, but there's really, as you can imagine, that's difficult to study. So are there really any good news about acute low back pain, Dr. Smith, as we wrap this up? Well, yeah, I think you had mentioned steroids and I Mm -hmm. think lots of people, reflexes, give steroids, give steroids. There's a little bit of evidence if it's, you know, radicular pain that's greatest in the leg more than the back. There is a little bit of evidence there, but just the run of the mill, 85% of the time that patients are coming to us just with low back pain, you know, corticosteroids are not the answer. Um, I just, I just wanted to reinforce that because I I see it thrown around a lot. I just wanted to, you know, I just wanted to reemphasize that, but yes, there are some, some good news with this topic. Acute low back pain of benign etiology has a favorable prognosis, much improvement in disability and pain over one month, but Uh, from onset, but recurrence is common, especially if the patient continues with that stressor, like whatever work they're doing, certain activities, no weight loss. Overall, disability from low back pain um, has decreased by 33 to 83% from onset during the first month period. That's a big range. Yeah, big, big range, but hey, that's, you know, that's a good percent, you know. Yeah. Currents in one year period range from 66 to 84% though. And I think one, one of the things too is when patients come in, I try to tell them like, hey, I don't know how long your back pain is going to last. It could go away tomorrow. It could go away in five days, but just don't be surprised if you're still having some pain that's coming and going over the next yes. couple of weeks. That is expected. For sure. Because if, if you don't tell them or give them an expectation, 
situation, you know, they're going to say, hey, three days later, I'm still hurting. I'm going to go back to the ER. So, you know, just make sure and say, hey, it's normal. You know, when you try to talk to them about the physiology of your back, like it's easy to rest, you know, your bicep after, a, you know, you, you strain your bicep doing curls, but can't rest your lower back. It's used in posture and so many different activities. So it just takes a lot longer for you to, for your, your back muscles to kind of return to baseline. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the best way to prevent back pain, moderate quality evidence demonstrated that exercise plus education reduces the risk of an episode of low back pain uh, in the early year by 45%. And, That's a lot. And, um, you know, we will end with a happy thought. <laughs> happy thoughts. Don't get x-rays of the lumbar spine. Yes. <laughs> That's another bomb delivered. You can find us on Twitter. Another bomb. Hey, cue the band music. We paid extra money for the band to come in just for this episode, so you better be happy with the music. Our handle is at Ian4Bombs as well as Instagram. You can drop us an Apple review as well. Dr. Smith completely agrees that we should have more Apple reviews, so please keep them coming. These reviews really help us. We would greatly appreciate it. If there's a particular topic you want, let us know in the future. Hey, Dr. Smith, you got anything else for us? Make sure you follow at EM Board Bombs on Twitter because they put out great content. I love when I get the notification that there's another uh, awesome tweet. It's very educational. Um, check out the website. There's great content. Um, check out the airway module if you haven't already. I mean, h- how many thousand people have done it already? Over 2,000. I know. It's a lot. It is. And get your, get your COVID vaccination when it comes out. Hey, I got mine last night. Did you? I got mine this morning. Your arm hurt yet? Oh, well, look at that. Uh, yeah, it hurts a little bit. I took Motrin. No. I didn't take 800 milligrams. I took more. I took Tylenol. That's all I had. Ooh. That's all I had. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll catch you next time. Thanks for coming on. And to everyone listening, Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Happy New Year. See you next year.